Well, you can go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 6 in your Bibles, and you can grab the handout there on your table. I will give one disclaimer. This handout, we will not cover all of it uh, today. You would probably look at that and think, what is, we're going to be here a while. Um, we're going we're to cover the first part of that today, and then we will finish it uh, next week, Lord willing. Um, you know, last week we started just laying a foundation about thinking about parenting. You know, the temptation when it comes to parenting, or really any area of life, is to uh, think of it as an isolated little silo of life, and we can just kind of do that and, you know, at least have that area under control and kind of ignore the rest of life. And, and when you think about the scriptures and, and how they fit together, that's simply not true. You see, God is, is about far more than just parenting, and all of life intersects with our parenting. We, we talked last time that in God's design, family is one piece of what he's doing. God is intending to, to redeem a people for himself, and family is one means, an important means, that God uses, uh, but it's, there's ultimately a larger purpose that God has, that of his own glory. And so if we are parenting apart from a perspective that says life is all about God and all about Christ and his work in the world we have already missed the point. And so if you go in this class from living for yourself or your job or your hobbies to living for your kids, you ultimately may be, you know, your kids may appreciate that and you may influence them to some degree, but you won't be the biblical parent that God has called you to. Our lives must be centered on Christ. We must love Him with all our hearts and then the overflow of that is faithful parenting. Now, that doesn't mean that it doesn't matter the details of how we parent. Thankfully, the Scripture says more than love Jesus and parent your kids. It, it helps us to think about how we do that, which is really what we want to turn our attention to in the, the remainder of our class, that our, our desire to see our kids love Christ, to know Him, to become like Him, should cause us to run to the Word of God to say, okay, how do we best do that. You know, the scriptures give relatively simple instructions to parents. Ephesians 6.4 summarizes those instructions well for us. It's a, a simple verse that says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It's specifically addressed to fathers. We talked last time that, that husbands have a unique role in the home, and, and Paul's acknowledging that here, that key uh, role of influence and responsibility that dads have. Certainly the instruction here applies to both, uh, both parents. But he says we are to, to bring our children up, to, to nourish them is the, the word there that's used. In, it's the same word used in speaking of, uh, of husbands nourishing their wives in chapter 5, 29. It's a common word for rearing or raising your children. Think of a, a gardener tending a plant and helping it to grow to maturity, caring for it and bringing it up. That's what we are to do as, as parents. And he says we are to do that using two primary tools, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Notice the end of that verse reminds us this is all of the Lord. This is to be focused on Him. This is to be fueled by Him and the goal of, of being centered on Him, as we talked last time. But Ephesians 6.4 here gives those two 
tools in your toolbox, discipline and instruction. The, the words in the original language are actually more similar than they sound in English. When we think of discipline, we tend to think of what? Like correction, of, of a, a spanking, that kind of thing. And, and certainly that idea is there in the word discipline. Um, and when we think of instruction, we think just of, of talking. So it's kind of like the things you do as a parent that don't involve talking and the things you do as a parent that do involve talking. That's not really the distinction in these words. The, the first of those words, discipline, is, is used in a variety of ways in Scripture. In Hebrews 12, we'll look at that uh, in detail today, speaks of the discipline that God brings. Uh, it's used in 1 Timothy 3 of uh, the idea of training. Stuart Scott defines it this way in, in his book, The Faithful Parent. He, he defines it as structured guidance and restraint. I think that's a helpful way to think of it as we'll see it unfolded in Scripture. Structured guidance and restraint. The second does refer more to verbal instruction. It's not that the first is, is without that. And, and to warning. It's, it's translated in 1 Corinthians 10.11 as instruction, in Titus 3.10 as warning. You know, so it's, it's not just teaching like a lecture in a class where you're communicating information. It's, it's instructing in those ways of how to think, but it's also warning and correcting, and, and that's where it overlaps some with that first term. So today and next week, we're going to focus on training, on discipline. And, and when the Bible speaks of it, I want us to broaden our thinking about this a little bit. Uh, it, it really speaks of discipline in two different ways. You have, and, and we understand this if you've been a part of sports or, or even a, a home, there's, there's corrective discipline, which is more you did something you shouldn't do, and the result is now there is discipline related to what you did that you shouldn't have done. And so you see words in Scripture like chastise or chasten, reproof, correction. It's a response to something that was wrong. That's discipline in response to sin. But there's also more formative training, words like discipline, train, instruct. This is more preemptive training. Uh, addressing things that need to be shaped in the life of your child, not so much because they did something wrong in that immediate context, but because of the needs of their heart. Again, if you've played sports or you've watched a sports practice, my girls uh, like basketball, all five of my girls have played, and it's my joy to get to, to coach uh, some of them at various points. And so right now I coach our, our youngest daughter, her middle school team, and if you came to our practice you would see them running. Sometimes they're running, why? Well, just because in basketball you run. And if I don't ever have them run, they'll get in a game and they'll be miserable and they won't do very good in the game. Uh, and so I may have them running or doing drills that require a lot of running just because they need that training to get in shape and to run. 
it's possible that you would come to uh, our practice and you would see some of them running maybe more than others because sometimes we do drills where like if they miss a free throw they have to run because they did something wrong not really wrong but uh, but there there's a consequence for that so they're focused or maybe you'll see the whole team running because they've been goofing off and talking and not paying attention and so I have them run as a way to remind them and to correct them from what they needed to do both of those are discipline both of those are training and we'll see both of those in how God responds to us. Not everything that is discipline from the hand of God to his children is a direct response to the sin that they've committed, uh, but sometimes it is. And that's the, the way that we want to be as a parent. This, you know, think of it in a parenting context. You might have your child clean the bathroom. Some of you with young kids may be dreaming of the day when your kid is capable of doing anything productive like cleaning a bathroom, leaving it better than they went, went in. Um, you'll get there eventually. Um, but that, that might be just be a regular routine where you have your child regularly clean the bathroom to teach them how to work hard, how to serve others, how to do gross things, how to care for one's home, or it might be a consequence for sin in their life. The failure to obey their mother all afternoon, and so when dad gets home from work, they get to go and clean the bathroom as a consequence for that. Where you're still teaching them all the other things, but you're also teaching them that sin has consequences. So as we think of discipline, don't just think of it as giving your kids something that's bad or hard in response to them doing something wrong. Think of it as the collective uh, way that we are to train and shape our children, including consequences when they sin or disobey. So what I want us to work through this week and next is, is five biblical realities that should shape our discipline or training of our children, both in that which is corrective in response to sin and formative training for the future. And we'll kind of gradually get more practical, and at the end, uh, if you have specific questions, we will certainly take time to, uh, to talk about that. But I want us to lay a foundation of right thinking about this before we get into the what does this look like, although we'll make some applications of that as we go. The first thing I want you to think about with me is, in the way that the Scripture directs us to, is that your discipline must first of all be shaped by the nature of your children. You know, think about your kids, and how many of you guys have like a, a dog at home? I would say like a, a other pets. Yeah, if you have a dog at home, how many of you have trained your dog or tried to train your dog? There are probably some, if you have a cat, you don't try to train cats because it's hopeless, right? Um, we have a dog. You know, the, the way that we train our children and the way that we train our dog look different. Now, there might be some similarities in some things that we do or don't do, but they're different because children are different than dogs fundamentally in their nature, Right? And so we want our discipline of our children to shaped by the biblical realities that are true of our children. The first thing is that they are made in the image of God. Look back at Genesis 1, 27. We looked at this briefly last week as we were considering God's design for the family. But in Genesis 1, 27, God was, was describing 
or is describing the act of creation, and it says God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God made people uniquely in his image to reflect what is true of him in a, in a way that uh, comes with uh, a greater value and honor than the rest of creation. And this has bearing on how we treat people. In, in Genesis 9-6, when God was forbidding murder, he, he made it clear there's a connection between why you should not kill another person and the fact that they are made in the image of God. We understand that in the sense that there's a difference in going you know, dove hunting, and you, don't, you can go do that in, a, in clear conscience, but you don't do that with people because there's a huge difference in that reality. Well, the reality that your kids are image bearers of God indicates that they should be treated with an appropriate honor and dignity. A lot of people use discipline as a means to, or or in the context of discipline, they do it in a way that humiliates or harms someone which is absolutely contrary to how we should think about our children and to how God would call us to treat them as image bearers of God. So whatever we do in discipline, we are to do it recognizing this is someone who is made in the image of God. We also need to do it recognizing that they will exist for all of eternity. Our kids are not just a body, but they are a body and a soul, and they will last for eternity either in heaven or hell. They, they, the stakes are much higher. You know, with my dog, if my dog never gets trained, it's a bummer. It makes my carpet smell, and it's a frustrating thing when they run outside and they don't want to come back. But at the end of the day, my dog's going to die in a few years, and we can get another one or not, and it's not the end of the world. But not so with our kids. Our kids are, 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 are spiritual and, and they, will, um, they will live eternally either under God's judgment or in His presence. As there is more at stake than simply this life. Don't think you've got to train your kids because, man, eventually they're going to be 19 and move out of your house and, and they're going to have to do that. I mean, that's true. But your training and shaping your kids has eternal consequences. Our discipline must be shaped by that reality. And those alone don't explain the need for discipline. A third reality is they are sinners. You know, what do most parents in the U.S. and world believe about the moral nature of their children? You know, most parents, at, at worst, believe children are morally neutral, that they come out and and they're kind of a blank slate and they will, you know, either go one way or the other in the decisions that they make. Most believe that children are, are basically good. The implication of that is they will generally do what is right on their own if you just don't mess them up. And so the goal of parenting, if you think your kids are basically good, is, is kind of stay out of the way and don't mess them up. That's not what the Scriptures teach. It is true that children are all born with a moral compass. They know right and wrong because of their conscience. But by nature, they rebel. Look at Proverbs 22, 
15. There are several Proverbs I want us to unpack today that, that we will come back to at various points as we think about discipline that are so foundational for how we think about this. Proverbs 22.15, this is a verse to memorize, to have at the forefront of your mind. Proverbs 22.15 says, Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline will remove it far from him. He says foolishness is, is bound up in the heart of a child. Now foolishness biblically is not just childishness. That's kind of what we think of with young kids. They're kind of childish. You know, what are, what are some things your kids do because they're kids that can kind of grate on you or you're like, oh, I wish you wouldn't do that. I mean, that could be stuff like, oh, they spilled their cereal bowl because they weren't careful or they flipped their spoon and it kind of shot stuff all over the place or, you know, those, that's childish. Kids do kid things. That's not what this verse is talking about. This verse is talking about foolishness, the, the disposition and pattern of rebellion against God, a, a way of sin. When Proverbs talks about folly, it is contrasted with the wisdom that flows from a fear of God. So your kids inherently don't have the right fear of God and wisdom that leads to right living they tend to have a disposition, or they have a disposition and pattern of rebellion against him. J.C. Ryle put it this way. He said, remember, children are born with a decided bias toward evil. And therefore, if you let them choose for themselves, they're certain to choose wrong. The mother cannot tell what her tender infant may grow up to be, tall or short, weak or strong, wise or foolish, more in kind of an uh, academic or life sense. He may or may not be any of these, it is all uncertain, but one thing the mother can say with certainty, he will have a corrupt and sinful heart. It is natural for us to do wrong. Our hearts are like the earth on which we tread. Let it alone, and it is sure to bear weeds. As that's the fundamental understanding you and I have to have of our children as we understand the Scriptures. They are sinners. Left to their own desires, they will continue to grow in their rebellion against God and they will spend eternity in hell. It is not an option to do nothing. As if your kids were basically good or even morally neutral, you could simply positively reward good behavior and, and hope for the best. But that is not true. Your kids are, are, have foolish hearts they need discipline. And that's what Proverbs 22.15 says. It says, foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child. What is the hope? The rod of discipline will remove it far from him. We'll talk more about that and what that means the, and how to, uh, how to approach that. But the, the connection there is your kids are foolish, therefore they need discipline to drive that foolishness out of their heart. And Proverbs is is principles, it's not promises. It doesn't mean if you discipline faithfully, it's a guarantee your child will come to Christ and will, will embrace Him and be wise. But it says the normal means God uses to shape a child's heart and to drive out the folly that is there is discipline. Flip over one chapter to, to chapter 23, verses 13 and 14, we see a similar idea 
Proverbs 23.13 says, Do not hold back discipline from the child. Although you strike him with the rod, he will not die. You shall strike him with the rod and rescue his soul from Sheol. Again, we'll, we'll unpack this verse a little bit more in some of the things that it says. But it, its point is, we should be faithful to discipline our kids. And, and that faithfulness to discipline our kids, we should view them really as a, as a, or view it as a rescue mission. He says, don't hold back discipline. You, you discipline your child and you rescue his soul from Sheol. Do, do you think of it that way? Disciplining your children is a rescue mission. You are, are, desi- are, are targeting seeing your kids no longer marching down that path that leads to destruction and eternal damnation. You are seeking to rescue them from that and to, to see their heart change, to, to love Christ and to, to know Him. This is why discipline is about more than just changing behavior. It's not just getting them to do or not do something you want them to do. It's targeting their heart. Understand the nature of our kids helps us recognize the importance of parental discipline. John Engel James says this, A gardener may sow the choicest seeds, but if he neglects to pluck up weeds and prune wild overgrowth, he must not expect to see his flowers grow or his garden flourish. And so a parent may deliver the best instructions, but if he does not by discipline eradicate evil tempers, correct bad habits, repress wicked corruptions, nothing excellent can be looked for. We, we have to discipline. And we have to discipline in a way that's shaped by the nature of our kids. They're image bearers of God, so we treat them with dignity and honor. They, they will exist for all of eternity, so the stakes are high. And they are sinners who need us to, to correct them and to train them so that they do not continue down a path of foolishness that ultimately leads to destruction. So our discipline must be shaped by the nature of our children. But secondly, our discipline must be shaped by God's discipline of His children. That of a loving, authoritative father. I want you to turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 8. There are two passages that, that I, I want to come to your mind in addition to some of the Proverbs and things we'll talk about. When you think of disciplining your kids, I hope by the time we're done that your mind will go to a number of places in Scripture, one of those being Deuteronomy chapter 8, which really gives us a picture of God's discipline. Deuteronomy 8 verse 5 says this, Thus you are to know in your heart that the Lord your God was disciplining you just as a man disciplines his son. So you want a picture of how God disciplines his children, Deuteronomy 8 provides somewhat of a summary for that, although really all of God's dealings with his people Israel in the Old Testament give us a glimpse of that. What's he talking about that that reminds them that God was disciplining them? Well, back in verse 1, it, it says that, All the commandments I have commanding you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord your God swore to give to your fathers. This is as the people are preparing to enter the promised land, having been in the wilderness for some 40 years uh, as a result of their lack of faith. 
And so he's reminding them of what God had done. Verse 2, you shall remember all the way in which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. He humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Your clothing did not wear out on you, nor your foot swell these 40 years. Thus you are to know in your heart that the Lord your God was disciplining you, just as a man disciplines his son." Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in His ways and to fear Him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs flowing forth in valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey. Skip down to verse 10. When you have eaten and are satisfied, you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which He's given you. And Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by keeping His commandments and His ordinances and His statutes which I am commanding you today. Otherwise, when you've eaten and are satisfied and built houses and lived in them and your flocks and herds multiply and and your silver and gold multiply and all that you have multiplies, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. What's this picture? He says, God treated you in a way that was disciplining and training you in the same way that a man disciplines his son. Well, what did that look like? Well, it looked like 40 years in the wilderness of God intentionally interacting with them and teaching them various lessons to prepare them for what was coming in the future, namely entering the promised land. And so God was, was working in, in, in the training and discipline of the wilderness to prepare them well for the future. And there was a variety of ways that he did that. One was simply by keeping them in the wilderness for 40 years. He, he disciplined them by how he provided for them in the wilderness. He, he disciplined them by testing them in various ways so that they and he would see the, the realities of their heart and could shape those things and, and help to prepare them. So Deuteronomy 8 gives us a a picture of God's discipline. Turn over to Hebrews 12, which really gives us principles of God's discipline. Take that picture, and Hebrews 12 kind of says, okay, here's here's the principles behind what God does in discipline. Pick up in verse 4. He says, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives." It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. 
All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful, yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So let's unpack these principles a little bit in in the form of, of a number of questions that I want us to think about that should shape how we think about disciplining our own children. The first question I want us to think about is, what is God's relationship to his children? Not simply the uh, fact that he disciplines them, but the discipline that God brings to his children occurs in the context of a larger relationship. So think about how we could describe God's relationship with his people. Well, I think one way we can think of it is he was clearly a loving father of them. We see that even here in, in verse uh, uh, 5 and uh, through 8 or 9 or so of Hebrews that God disciplines his children whom he loved. Think, think about Israel. What had God done for Israel to demonstrate his love prior to this time? Well, he had already brought them out of slavery in Egypt. God had demonstrated clearly to them I care for you, and I am leading you, and I am directing you. I am loving you. Discipline as a parent should flow from the context of a loving parental relationship. If all your kids know of you as a parent is discipline, they're getting a, missed, uh, a, mis- uh, or a distorted picture of that reality. They need to know, not only my dad cares about discipline and training me, but my dad loves me and provides for me, and and he cares for me in in a variety of ways, and discipline is one aspect of that love. So God is a loving father. He loved Israel. He redeemed them from slavery. He's loved us and redeemed us from sin, and it's in that context that he disciplines and trains us. But we we also see that God is an authority over his children. And so Deuteronomy 8 started with what? It's a bunch of, it's, it's commands that I have given you. God said, you should listen and do what I tell you to do. You know, this idea of authority is has fallen on hard times in some ways, even among Christians. Some of that, I think, is because of the abuses of authority in the past, and some of it is just the the fact that Satan wants to twist anything that God says is good. And so authority can be twisted to be abused, or it can be twisted to be neglected. But God says you as parents are your children's authority. You are an authority in their life. Children are to obey you. They are to do the things that you say. And so as you discipline, you need to be doing so as a loving parent, but that doesn't mean you do not uh, function as an authority. You can be both. You don't have to just be your kid's friend. You don't have to do uh, uh, everything that they want you to do because you love them. No, you love them and you function as an authority over them as God did. So what is God's relationship to his children? He's a loving father and he is a clear authority. Who, Who is disciplined by God? Well, Hebrews says every son whom he loves. Every child whom he loves is disciplined. 
In fact, verse 7 says, God, uh, what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are without discipline, you are an illegitimate child and not a son. Who is disciplined by God? He disciplines every one of his children whom he loves. You know, you will hear parents and maybe even your own head or mouth say something like, I love my child too much to discipline them. You know, I I just care too much about them. I cannot see them go through something hard. I love them too much to discipline them. God says no. The right way to phrase that is I love myself too much to discipline them. That's what's really going on. I, I love me too much to do what is best for them, and so I am unwilling to do what God calls me to do. If you love your children, you will discipline them. Again, why is that true? Well, it's what we saw already. Because your kids are on a path of foolishness on their way to hell, and what loving parent stands back and says, eh, oh well, none. If your child you know, had some illness or disease that needed treatment that was hard, you wouldn't say, oh, I just can't stand to see them go through something hard, so I'll just let them die. No, no loving parent would do that, so it is with discipline. If we love our children, we will discipline them. God says, I discipline every child whom I love. Again, discipline must be exercised in the context of a loving family relationship. It's an expression of belonging to that family. It's not the only expression of belonging to that family, but it should occur in the context of, a, a, uh, of that that relationship. He disciplines those whom are his sons, whom he loves. They are those that he delights in, he protects, he cares for, he meets their needs, and he disciplines them. Well, why does God discipline his sons or his children? What is, what is the purpose for his discipline? Notice Hebrews 12:11 says, all discipline for the moment, seems not to be joyful. We can all relate to that, right? Your kids can relate to that. They're not like, oh, you disciplined me. You, you're training me and correcting me. And yay, thank you. That was so much fun. I like that. Can we do that again, Daddy? Um, that's not how it goes. No, discipline is not joyful in the moment. But he says, after, to those who have been trained by it, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So why does God discipline his kids? Why was he disciplining Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 8? Well, it was in anticipation of a future, a good future in the promised land that he didn't want them to squander. So God disciplines his sons, his children for their good and maturity as preparation for the future. Guys, if you as a parent and I as a parent am only living for the moment, I will be inconsistent at best in my discipline of my kids, and I will most likely neglect it. Because I can't remember a moment in my life where I thought, oh, this is just an ideal situation. There's nothing I'd rather do right now than discipline my kids. I'll be. That's great. That's not how it works. 
In the moment, I can always come up with an excuse. They're not going to respond to this. There's something else that I need to do. There's some other thing that is screaming more loudly for my attention than the training of my children. And so I can neglect it and neglect it and neglect it. God says, no, I have a long-term perspective. I know what I'm preparing you for. And I know that preparation for the future requires a series of faithful acts of discipline in order to prepare you for that future. God disciplines His sons for their good and maturity as preparation for the future. He sees that down the road. You know, I think of, of this in um, you know, someone who is who is, uh, he, he uses phrases even of those sharing in, in an inheritance and, and of, of somebody like my uncle who uh, owns a number of car dealerships and had sons. And, and so he understood, I'm going to be passing off these to my sons. And so he, w- he was intentional to train them in how to run a car dealership because he knew at some point they're going to have to uh, have to take this. That's our idea, or that's how much more so as, as parents to say, okay, I want my child to live well in the future, in this life and eternity, and so I have to be faithful to discipline them now. What are the specific goals of God's discipline? What is it that He is seeking to do in the discipline that He brings in the life of His children? It's not just general preparation for the future. It's, it's a number of things that he is seeking to do. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 8, if we flipped back over there, you would see that he is working to cause them to live uh, in a way that is submissive to his authority and obedient to his commands. He, he's training them to obey his word, to, to humbly submit to and recognize his authority as God. That's something we'll talk more about that also is a goal for us in discipline, not as it relates to us, but as it relates to God. So it's not simply that they would be under our authority and obey our commands, because that's important. It's that we want them to ultimately obey God. You see, we want our kids to come to respect authority and to respect God's authority, to recognize they're not their own master that they don't always know what is best for them or get what they want, that the goal is to submit themselves to the authority of God and of Christ. Bruce Ray put it this way, he says, our motive for discipline is to bring our children into a subordinate relationship to the authority of the living God and not just ourselves. See, it's easy to do that as a parent, to just focus on your call to obey me. You obey me, you obey me. Well, why are they to obey me? Because God said, you're to obey me. And I need to help them see that as the primary goal is that they are obeying God. He he says, if we seek to make our children submit to us alone, we have failed in our biblical responsibility. Rather, God says that we are to bring them into submission to Him. All of our discipline, nurture, instruction, and warning must be framed in this context to bring them to the point where they become obedient disciples of Jesus Christ. So why do you discipline your kids? Why do you expect your kids to obey when you tell them to do something? It's not just because you want them to obey you. It's because long term you want them to obey God. To joyfully submit to His authority. 
And the primary command that God has given your children when they are young is to obey you. But do not lose sight that they are to obey you because God commands it, not simply because you deserve it or you have some right to that. So we want to discipline our kids with the same goal that God has, that they will ultimately obey Him. And secondly, that they will be like Him. That they will share in His holiness, as Hebrews 12 says. That this yields the the fruit of righteousness. And verse 10 says, He disciplines us for our good that we may share His holiness. You see, we want our children and God wants us to be holy, to not be mastered by our appetites, but to share the affections of God that produce the character of God in our lives. To love what God loves, to hate what God hates, that's the goal of our discipline, of our shaping of our children. That they will obey Him, that they will submit to authority, to His authority with humility, and that they will be like Him. Well, how does God do that? What are the means of God's discipline? You know, when we look at what we saw in Deuteronomy 8, when you think of God's other dealings with His people, when you think of what He says in, um, in Hebrews 12, I think we can identify a number of ways that God is training His children, um, not all of which we will imitate, but Uh, many of which give us a context for how we should think about discipline. The first is that it's through teaching and instruction. Uh, Again, discipline is not uh, separate from teaching and instruction. He, He was instructing the people even in Deuteronomy. These are the commands. This is what you're to do. This is what you're to think. God trains His people by teaching them and instructing them. He also trains His people through rules and consequences and rewards that come from that. The the law of God given to the nation of Israel was intended to do a number of things. One was to show the people their sin and their need to Christ. Another was to train them, and this is how you live in a way that is, is consistent with my character as those who represent me in the world. There's a reason God says these are the consequences of disobeying me and the blessings that come when you obey me. He's, he's training his children. And you see that even in, the, um, in the, uh, the, the details of the wilderness. Uh, there were consequences for them disobeying what God had commanded them to do. You, you also see God training his, his people, and this I think is fascinating and helpful for us to think about, through circumstances that shape, develop, and test their character. Again, this is, this is very different than how most parents think and most people think in today's day and age, especially most Americans. Our primary goal as Americans is to have the best and easiest life possible in every way. And so the primary goal for most American parents is to say, I want my kids to have the best and easiest life possible in every way. God says, yeah, not so much. His goal for Israel was not that everything was always easy for them. His love for them did not mean that he was only doing what was easy and what they agreed was good. 
He was very willing for his people to endure difficulty and hardship for their good. Now again, this doesn't mean that God is mean. It doesn't mean that you need to put your kids in as bad of situations as possible for as long as possible because that's what you should do as a parent. But it does mean it's okay for your kids to go through hard things. And it's okay for you to have your kids intentionally go through hard things. I used the example earlier of cleaning the bathroom. How many people like cleaning the bathroom? Well, none. Maybe, maybe you do, I don't know. None of my kids do. Nobody in my house is like, yeah, I get to clean the toilet, this is great. That's a hard thing, but it's something that is for their good. Again, so often our response as parents to God putting our kids in a difficult situation is that we just want to remove, see them removed from that instead of helping them to grow through that. And again, that doesn't mean there aren't things that we can't, shouldn't do as parents to help in those ways, but our first reaction when our, our child has a teacher who's maybe more difficult or, or doesn't relate to them as, as we wish they would, or a coach in that way, our first reaction as parents is always what? I want to move you. I want to get you out of that situation, my poor child. And, and there's a sense in which there's times where that's appropriate. But we can also say, I'm, I want to help you to grow through that difficult circumstance. That's what God did with his people. He allowed them and brought circumstances that would shape and develop and test their character. That was 40 years in the wilderness. You know how long 40 years is? I mean, that's a long time. It's like, God, I think we could learn our lesson in like four months. How's that? That sounds reasonable. Four years, maybe? He's like, no, 40 years. 40 years of eating manna. You know, my kids complain about leftovers the next day, right? You know, and it's like, hey, God was not catering to their every need or desire. He, or he was not catering to their every desire. He provided what they needed, but he was willing for them to endure for the sake of growth. He also disciplined them through provision and withholding of provision or withholding of their desires. You know, I'm fascinated by how God um, responded to his people in wisdom as he was, was directing the nation of Israel. We, we won't take time to look at it, but um, think about just the ways he interacted with them. We saw a few of those in Deuteronomy 8. So things like providing manna for them. What was he teaching them? Well, he provided manna every day. So he was teaching them, you trust me every day. I will provide for you daily. You cannot store it up in the, on the front end, you know, because you have to learn to rely on me every day. You remember when the people said, hey, we're tired of manna. We want meat. You know what I would have probably said as a dad? No. You know what God said? Sure. I'll give you more meat than you possibly could ever want. Meat will be coming out of your nostrils. God gave them what they wanted, even though he knew it was not what, uh, what they, they needed, and they weren't trust. they were complaining, but he said, you're going to endure that, and it's not going to satisfy you in the way that you think it will, and you're going to learn that lesson through that. Again, that doesn't mean the parenting principle is always give your kids what they want. Um, no, but, but it does mean sometimes... We might say, you know, I don't think you need that, or I don't think you need to do that. Uh, but 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you so you learn a lesson. That happens as they get a little older. Like my daughters like to spend money on getting their nails done, and it's crazy expensive, and I think it's, it's probably not something they need to do as often as they do when they're in the financial situation that they're in. But sometimes I say, great, go for it. And now guess what? You're broke. <laughs> and over the next week when you ask me to get you a Starbucks drink, I'll say, no, but you have pretty nails. And, and you get to learn that, that you, you did what you wanted and you're now reaping that in a way that you're hopefully learning. And, and again, doesn't mean that we're, we're mean about it or that we're unkind, but we can allow them to do those things. So God disciplines us in a variety of ways as he is training us to share in his character and to submit to him. But he always does it. What are, what are the characteristics of his discipline? He always does it consistently and patiently and intentionally. God is patient with his people. doesn't mean that he um, doesn't respond in the moment as they need. But it does mean God never responds on a whim. There was never a time when God said something like, I'm tempted to say, like, if you do that again, you will never again go to a friend's house. Or, or if you do that again, I'm taking your phone until you're 23. And, it's, and like I threaten something in the moment. God doesn't do that. God's consistent. He always responds intentionally and patiently with his people. So our discipline must be shaped by God's discipline of his children. I want you to think about a couple of thoughts. How does our relationship with our children reflect God's relationship with his children? How, how are we reflecting God? We talked last time a little bit about how we as parents get to model the relationship of God with his children for our kids. We also get to model being a child of God for our kids. So we are not God, but we do have the opportunity to have a loving relationship with our kids of authority in which we get to bring discipline into their life. Don't you think about what are you preparing your children for? You know, it's more than just the next grade. It's more than just high school. It's more than just college. It's more than just marriage. It's more than just employment. All those things are a part of life, and it's right that we are training our kids in preparation for those things. But we need to have a longer term perspective. What are specific goals for our children in light of this? You know, if you just want your child to be economically successful as an adult, you'll have specific goals. If you want your child to share in the character of God, to love Him, and to be submissive to Him, that's going to shape how you approach discipline and the things you care most about as you discipline. And so how can we train and discipline them to that end as God calls us to. Again, we are not God. Our discipline doesn't look exactly like uh, God's discipline. I would encourage you not to discipline your kids by having them go wander in the wilderness of the backyard for extended period of times or those kinds of things. But we want to share God's intentional, uh, intentionality and in disciplining for the sake of building our, ch our children's character. So our discipline must be shaped by God's discipline of His children. And then a third reality, just briefly, that we want to consider. Your discipline must be shaped by the warnings and exhortations of Scripture. One of the beautiful things about the Scripture 
is it gives us the big picture of understanding. Here's why discipline matters and why it's so important. It gives us a picture of God that we can say, okay, my discipline should reflect the same realities of what God has, has, set, has done and how God disciplines his character. And then it starts to drill down for us into very practical realities of, of discipline. So what does that look like for us as, as parents? And one of the things it gives us is some specific warnings and exhortations related to this. One warning that Scripture gives is to not neglect discipline when your children are young. Look over in the book of Proverbs at Proverbs 19.18. This is another one of those um, powerful Proverbs related to how we think about discipline. Proverbs 19 verse 18 says this, It says, discipline your son while there is hope, and do not desire his death. Again, the the implication there is, if you neglect discipline, you are allowing your children to continue down a path of foolishness and folly that ultimately leads to death. But notice that first phrase, discipline your son while there is hope. What, what is that saying? It's saying that there is, a, there is a season in the life of your child where discipline is, is most fruitful and effective for, for seeing change in uh, their heart and in their character. The implication of that is at some point, there is no longer hope. Now, that's, that's really... Um, probably an overstatement. There's always hope for our children. There's always the chance of, of God working in their life in a, a way that um, His sovereign grace intervenes. But as parents, the idea is you need to be faithful disciplining your children when they are young because that is God's intent and that is the primary time when you have the opportunity to shape your kids. Proverbs 22.6 is a, a familiar proverb that says something similar. It says, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, this, this proverb is often claimed as a promise. If you're faithful to train your kids, even when they're old, they'll, they'll be faithful to the Lord. It's not a promise to that end. It's actually, uh, the, the interpretation is, is somewhat debated. Some think it's, it's saying, you know, that if you train up your child in, in uh, spiritual things when they're young, they will, they, that will have that influence, likely. Again, not a promise. Some think it's more of a warning. Train up a child according to his own way, it could be translated. And when he's old, he will not depart from it. Meaning if you let your child have his own way when he's young, guess what he's going to continue to do when he's old? He's going to continue to live in accordance with his own way. Some take it more as train up your child according to their, their unique personality and bents and that will help them to, to manifest those things in a way that is successful long term. Uh, sorry to mess up the simplicity of that verse for you. Um, but um, but the, the regardless, the principle there is clear, which is the, the training of your children when they are young has an impact on them as they grow older. That's what I want you to see. 
And, and so the point is, don't neglect discipline when your children are young. Be faithful in that from the early age, ages of parenting. Again, we'll talk more practically about this next time, but it's easy to neglect that when your kids are young. It's easy to, to sow things in your children when they're young that you don't intend or that you don't realize where this is going when they are older. You know, think about the difference between that two-year-old who, you know, is walking towards the TV and it's your sweet little daughter who just has you wrapped around your finger, her finger, your finger dads. And, and uh, you know, and you look at her and you say, don't touch the TV. And she smiles at you and she grins and she touches that TV and you're like, oh, she's so cute. Uh, fast forward 17 years or, you know, and your daughter is sick 15 years and your daughter is now 17 and you are telling that sweet girl no, you cannot go out with those friends. And she grabs the keys and she runs out the door and she goes and she does what she wants. Not as cute, right? Well, if we don't recognize that the same heart of that sweet, smiling two-year-old can manifest itself in the future in those ways, and we neglect it when they're young, it's really hard to rein that back in and to be faithful in that way when your kids are older. So the scripture says, don't neglect discipline when your children are young. Again, is that a guarantee? No. If you're faithful when your kids are four, does that mean you won't have any issues when they're 14? No. You get to keep parenting all through. But it does mean how you train your children when they are young is likely to have a very significant impact on them as they grow older. Don't neglect that. Discipline your children while there is hope. A second warning Scripture gives is to not discipline in a way that provokes your children to anger. We saw that in Ephesians 6.4 where it said, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Colossians 3, a, a parallel passage, puts it this way, Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. See, I think Scripture understands in our zeal for discipline, if we're not careful, we can provoke our kids to anger or we can exasperate them. We can just make them feel hopeless and helpless and they lose heart and they give up and they quit trying. So if we're going to be faithful to discipline our kids, as God calls us to, we must also be careful that we don't do that in a way that provokes them to anger. What, what does that look like? Well, we could look at a lot of different examples in, uh, in Scripture and talk about a lot of different practical things in life. One commentator, uh, Andrew Lincoln, gives this list. He says, we can provoke our kids to anger by excessive or unreasonable expectations or discipline. You get super excited to train your kids. You're like, man, I want my, I want my child to, uh, uh, to learn all sorts of things. And, and so I'm going to work on training my two-year-old how to make their bed. And I'm going to be, you know, harsh with, or I'm going I'm to, you know, get on to them when they don't do it right. It's like, well, I, I think that's an unreasonable expectation for a two-year-old. And so you're going to frustrate that child when you're asking them to do something that they aren't able to do, and you hold up that standard and say, you've got you to gotta do this. Well, you now have exasperated them, and they're going to lose heart, and they're going to say, I can't try. Maybe it's excessive uh, discipline, or, or the, the consequences that you bring are over the top for 
what is, is warranted in those circumstances, you're going to provoke him to anger. You can provoke him to anger, secondly, with harshness. Not necessarily what you say to your kids, but how you say it to your kids. By, by being harsh and, and judgmental and, and acting like their kids are in some other category from us. Not that we are all sinners who need God's grace and mercy. We can provoke our kids to anger by the abuse of our authority, by using our authority for selfish gain. So if, if I say, ah, I am an authority, I get to train my kids, I'm going to train my kids to do all the stuff around the house that I don't want to do, and I'll sit on the couch and I'll tell my kids what to do, and they get to go do it all the time. Well, guess what? My kids are going to be, feel exasperated and they're going to be provoked to anger and they're going to say, you know, dad spends a lot of time sitting on the couch and expecting me to do these things. It doesn't mean I shouldn't train them to do stuff, have them do stuff, but they need to know dad's also a servant and willing to serve and do the same things. I wouldn't ask them to do something that I myself would be unwilling to do. Don't abuse your authority selfishly. A fourth way he gives is arbitrariness or a lack of consistency. I think this is a big one, especially when our kids are young. You know, when one day it's totally fine to go touch the TV, and the next day dad erupts when you touch the TV, you know, or maybe it's one hour it's okay to touch the TV, and the next hour it's not, or maybe it's three minutes apart. You know, they do one thing and you don't respond and you don't care and then they do it again and, and you flip out on them. Well, that is very difficult for children to know what is the standard? What is it that I, is expected of me? That arbitrariness and lack of consistency, that just flying off the cuff based on how I feel and my response to it is provoking my kids to anger. An unfairness or lack of equity or justice, I think you see this in, in you know, showing favoritism to children one child over the other. It doesn't mean you can't treat your kids differently. Your kids are different. Uh, My kids are different. They don't always get to do the same things. They don't always have the same standards. They don't always have those things. But that should be an intentional decision, not I just like this kid better and so they can get away with stuff that the other one can't. Uh, Another way we can do this is constant nagging or condemnation. Just constantly getting on our kids for every single thing. We're provoking them to anger. We're exasperating them. Another way would be humiliating a child. Maybe it's the conversation that needs to happen. It just doesn't need to happen in front of everybody who's in the room. Maybe it's discipline that needs to be, uh, to be meted out to them, but it doesn't need to be done publicly in front of other people. We don't want to humiliate our children. In the book The Faithful Parent by Stuart Scott and Martha Peace and, and the book The Heart of Anger, there are really helpful chapters on on parents who provoke, on what it looks like to provoke your kids to anger. If this is something you want to think more about, I would encourage you to uh, consider those resources. So don't neglect discipline when your kids are young, but don't discipline in a way that provokes your children to anger. Uh, a, A third exhortation of Scripture that we will pick up on next time is to recognize that the rod is the primary means God has given you to discipline your children. We saw that phrase over and over in the Proverbs. And it's, it's, a, it's both a, a specific means of discipline and a metaphor for all of discipline, but we want to unpack that more next week. So I, I encourage you this week to think about the larger goals that you have in training your children.
I don't necessarily encourage you this week to go home and make all kinds of changes into practically how you are disciplining your kids. We'll talk more about that next week. But I do encourage you to step back and think about the reality of who your kids are. The, the fact that they are sinners who need training because they are on a path of foolishness that leads to destruction if they are not snatched off of that path. Ultimately, God does that work, but he uses parents to be faithful. Meditate this week on the discipline of God. Think about your own life. Think about the things that God has brought into your life, that he's allowed in your life for your good, and how he has shaped and trained you as he does his own people. And think about the importance of discipline and, and the fact that we are not to do that in a manner that provokes our kids to anger. And then we'll pick up next time thinking about the means of discipline, thinking about what that looks like at different stages of the life of our kids. How training a, a 17-year-old is very different than training a 7-year-old. And, and, and yet the same principles are there, but how that fleshes out in, in the scriptures is going to be different. So look forward to our time next week. If for some reason you can't be here next week, really encourage you to, to keep up with what we're talking about because it, it's, a, it's a package deal and, and to get the full picture, I think that's so, uh, so helpful. All right, well, let me pray for us and, uh, and then you can enjoy some time visiting, debriefing as you process these things. Oh, just a reminder, there's questions on the back of your handout. Uh, some of them we haven't gotten to yet, but you, I would encourage you to take time to think about those things together as well. All right, let's pray together. Father, we're thankful that you are a faithful God who disciplines those that you love. And Lord, we recognize that discipline is often not fun. Lord, you have um, brought each of us through circumstances and you've brought things into our life that we wouldn't have picked for ourselves but they are for our good and, and to help us grow in likeness to you and submission to you. And Lord, thank you that you call us as parents to discipline and train our kids. Help us to do that in a way that reflects your heart. Help us to do that in a way that um, takes that role seriously because we understand it has consequences not simply in this life, but for eternity. And, and Lord, help us to be um, just committed to investing our time and energy as parents in the training of our children. Lord, I pray that you would uh, help us as we uh, transition even next week to thinking more practically about this with the, the changes or, or things that we need to do differently in our homes. I pray that we would be humble and that we would uh, do those things in a way that would please you as well. Lord, thank you for the relationships we can build also for each of the, the folks who are part of our class. And, Help us to continue to spur one another on through our time together. In Christ's name, amen.